0: Um, With that said, I'd want to go to a piece of scripture this morning that is kind of hard to talk about, honestly. And so we're going to go to Acts 5. Uh, If you get there's a Bible in the chair in front of you, or you can just hang with us here on the wall Bible um, and follow through. But it's real quick. We're just going to read through the whole story, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to talk about it. So um, it says, But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming... It was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. And then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, How could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. I want to pray for a moment. Father, uh, It's a tough passage, It's just a tough passage in general. But some of us in this room, like we we've we've projected a lot of things on you of who you are and who we think you are um, that aren't true. And so I I just pray today that you would just meet us in where we, you know, where we're struggling, where we lack the correct perception of you as the father. Um, Maybe we don't even know you. Maybe we have no experience with you. God, but I pray you would just make yourself so real this morning to each and every one of us, and only you can do that. So we're praying, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to move in such a mighty way today, but also throughout our lives, God, going forward. And so, man, we, we just give this moment to you. We trust you, and we say, just meet us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So I uh, got a truck this last summer, a new-to-me truck, and I... Uh, Got it the week before family camp. If you don't know what family camp is, it's something we as a church do in July where we go and we rent. Rent. We I don't know. What do you say? Rent a campsite? Is that what you say? Reserve. Thank you. I've been doing this long enough. You think I would know my words. Um, and so you reserve a campsite. We reserve like 80 plus campsites. We go down there as a church family. We do this. It's super awesome. And so I get I get the truck like a week before we're going to go. I'm super excited about it. Um, you know, it's pristine condition. It's only new to me though, but you know, it feels like it's pristine condition. And uh, I, I hook up to my tent trailer. I'm all excited to pull it down. I got my Yakima racks up on top with the bikes and with the Skybox. I'm feeling like a true person from the Pacific Northwest. Like I'm the real deal. Um, There's no faking it with me. Now I'm real. And so I'm I'm super excited about this. And so we hook up and we drive down to the beach. And we're going to the Halem Bay State Park. And we get there for the night. Truck pulls the trailer smooth. I'm feeling really cool about this truck. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then uh, we, we sleep for the night. And we get up the next morning, and this is where it all started to go south. Um, my wife decides she wants to go and get clam chowder in the small town of Manzanita. And I was like, no, let's just stay at camp. Like, this is, this is kind of cool. We're here to camp. This is what we're going to do. She wanted to see the town, and I did need a few things. And since I'm a, I'm a really good husband, I know that the wife always wins. So I'm like, all right, babe, let's go. We're clam chowder. We're going to go get it. And uh, so we had a couple people camping with us. So we pile into the, to my truck and we we head into town, we have a dog in the back and we're going and we're going and I have a co pilot whose name is Will. My wife's sitting in the back. She would normally be my co-pilot. And uh, as we're... we, I don't know the area very well. It's my first time kind of in Manzanita. And so we just kind of pull up maps. And I realized if you pulled the sermon notes this morning, there's a huge error in there. And this might be the reason why this all went south. Is it says Apple Maps. But the truth is, Will is an owner of an Android phone. So it wasn't Apple Maps that took us on the road we're about to travel on. It was Android Maps or Google. I don't know who makes those maps. But I'm representing Apple this morning. And so... Um, and so we, as we're driving down, as we're driving down the road, it tells us to veer off onto this gravel road. And so I'm like, okay, cool. So we get on the gravel road and you know, I'm sitting there and I, I kid you not, I'm bragging like to myself. I'm like, man, isn't this truck so nice? And we're going up over the hill and I'm driving and driving and all of a sudden the road comes to an end and we're about to enter back onto the pavement. And a stop signs up. So I come up, I'm got my foot on the brake coming into the stop sign. And all of a sudden I get a phone call. And normally I'm very, very good about having my phone hands-free right here, but it was in my back pocket. And so I pull it out, I see who it is. This person will remain unnamed. Um, and so I look at it and I go, Oh, I need to take this. And my wife's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, yeah, I do. So I do the responsible thing. And I pull off to the side of the road to take the call. Like, that was really responsible. I thought that was really good on me. And so I do that and I pull off to the side of the road and I've got my foot on the brake and I'm almost to a stop when my co-pilot goes, hey, do you see that wire? And I'm like, I can not even process the statement before I hear the snap, bam. And I'm going, oh no. And what happened is I ran into a stabilization cord for an electric pole. You know, the ones that have like the yellow sleeve, plastic sleeve on it, that's so you don't run into it. Yeah. I nailed it. Boom, hit it, snapped it in half. Truck still lives to tell the story. So, um, and so here my beautiful, pristine truck that I love so much now has beauty marks on it. And uh, it, was a, it was a tough one for the Lord just to teach me it was a truck. And so I... <laughs> So then all of a sudden we, my wife works for the police department. So we call the non-emergency line and, you know, we're going to wait for an officer to show up and just kind of report it and everything else. And so we go through the whole process. Meanwhile, our, our friends go into town, um, cause we're about two blocks away at this point, we're this close and, uh, they walk the rest of the way in. And so it's just me and my wife, Annie, and we're sitting here and we're talking and, you know, there's a little bit of guilt, um, because we went into town to get clam chowder and yeah, I'm just letting it sink in just a little bit. And, and everything. No, she wasn't really feeling that guilty. She felt bad, but I felt worse because here I am. I picked up the phone. It's like, come on. I never p- answered the phone, by the way. It's just so you know. And, uh, and so the police officer comes, we do the work, and all of a sudden he leaves. And I said, okay, before we go into town and catch up with everybody, I'm just going to make the phone call real quick to the person who called me and just kind of catch up what's going on. And so I make the phone call, and as, I'm, as I'm, I call him up and everything, and they go, hey, what's going on? And I go, hey, you called me. Like, I did? It was a butt dial. Yeah, and you and me both are going. Did that just happen? And that's that's the re- that's the reality of how the Lord had to teach me that it was just a truck. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's it's kind of funny because we've all had those moments, you know, where you get on the other side, you are going, "What the heck?" Um, but then we come across a piece of scripture this morning, and we kind of do the same thing. We go, "Did that just happen? Did God just did God just strike Ananias and Sapphira dead?" For I mean. They gave their money to them. Yeah, they kept some, they lied, but they sold their field that they didn't have to sell and they at least gave some of the money towards the apostles. And then all of a sudden we get, oh, they lied to the spirit and therefore they're struck over dead. And we kind of look at that and go, did that just happen? Like, let's just keep going. Let's, let's just, next, Acts 5 verse 12 and it's easy for us to skip over that it's easy for us to kind of look past that and so that leaves us in the spot where we see that the community of, of, of believers they were gripped with fear it says great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else and what had happened And so here we are, we're faced with this realization that most of us who look at God and know God, and we've been around church long enough, we understand that God is full of grace. He's full of mercy. He meets us in our weakness. He's our best friend. He walks with us through life. Man, he's always there. The Bible is a love letter, a love note to us. Man, so we see this and we're going, man, God is so gentle, so kind. And then we run into this and we're going... What happened? What, 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 where did I miss something here? And it leaves us with this idea of like, man, they're afraid. The whole community is afraid. And now I'm afraid because I'm reading this and going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe God isn't who I've always thought him to be. Maybe I've missed some characteristics or some, some process in discovering who God is in my life. And so that leaves us in this really this big conundrum because if we look at the Bible and we look at what it has to say, we understand that the fear of the Lord, the fear of God is written all over and it's commanded of us. So if we, if we look at these scriptures, for example, we'll see that in Proverbs 1, 7 it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Deuteronomy 6, 24, it says the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. So we see this idea of this fear of God, like this was commanded by God. This is when he gave us the commands, when he gave us the decrees, he said, hey, our, we're supposed to fear the Lord, and so when we talk about it in church, someone may say, hey, that's a, that's a God-fearing woman over there. That's a God-fearing man. Like, that's a huge compliment. That is a massive compliment to someone. And so for those of you that are single in the room, that's what you want to marry. That's what you want to go after someone that's God-fearing, all right? It was really good advice, all right? I just want you to take that, stick that in the back pocket. Thank me later. And so... But we, we see that as a huge compliment. So if someone comes up to you and says, hey, you're a God-fearing person, we go, yeah, thank you so much. Like I don't. That's such an honor to be called that because we're called to fear God. But then on the reverse side, the Bible says, fear not. And so then we sit on the other side of this and we look at some scriptures and we go, Psalm 23, 4, it says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Joshua 1, nine. this is my command, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so now we're in this spot where we're going, okay, fear God, but then don't have fear. So like, which way is it? What, what do I do? What, what, what do we do with all of this? You know, we're, we're allowed to fear God and that's a good thing. But when it comes to fearing the outcome of a conversation that we're going to have with an employee or a boss or a family member, we're not, shouldn't fear it's like, how do I balance that? What do I do with that? What does that even mean? And so that brings me to the point today, if you hear nothing else, hear this next statement. This is what it's all about. And it says, what we fear is what we focus on. And what we focus on is what we worship. And so a lot of us, we all have, we have good fears. We do. But what we do is we fear the outcome of a conversation or we fear um, we got to confront someone that's not doing their job at work. Or we, we fear, you know, we got go to go that family member who's not, you know, it's been a while and we got to go have this conversation. And we go up to them and what happens is we've rehearsed this conversation so many times in our head. How it's going to go, what's going to happen. We've been obsessing over the outcome that we're so much when we get there and it never goes as planned, let's be honest. And you get there and all of a sudden it's like, uh, I don't. I really wanted this. And we were. what happens is we were worshiping a desired outcome for that conversation. We were obsessing over that. We were focusing on that outcome. Therefore, we're worshiping it. And then many, in, many of you in here have kids or will have kids, right? And it's, it's, it gets pretty similar along those lines. We, we fear that our, our kids are going to make the same mistakes that we made. We fear what they're going to be when they grow up. Are they going to do something that actually makes money? Are they going to end up, you know, what are they going to do? Or, you know, what mistakes are they going to make? Or, man, if they if they go to this school, it's going to help them. So I'm going to guide them this way and I'm going to do this. And we have kind of this outcome and desire for our kids, all out of love, all in, good, in a good heart and good desire. But what happens is we start wanting that for them when God maybe hasn't even called them to it. God, that's not even God's plan. But yet we we know, we're like, no, 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 if you go here, you end up here, you get you get ahead in life here, this is what happens, you get your college degree, or you do this, you go here, make money, have a family. We have it all planned out for them. And so therefore, as parents, or maybe even as people who lead students, we start worshiping, we start focusing on a desired outcome for our students of today, our kids of today. And we're so much about that outcome that we forget that maybe God is calling them to or something else. And they're all good fears. They're all good. Fears are healthy. Fears keep us in line and in check and good things. But the problem that happens with fears is when we obsess over them and we focus on them and we make decisions because of them. Because there's that moment where we kind of got to let go of how the conversation's going to go. We have to let go of how the kid's going to turn out. And we, we, we kind of we pull back a little bit or we let go, we pull back. And it's, we're sitting in this spot and it's going, hey, 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 God's going you're not supposed to worship the outcome. You're supposed to worship me. And so we get in this idea of this fear of God and what does this really mean and all these things. Where our focus is, that's what we begin to worship. So if our focus is on the outcome, we worship the outcome. But if our focus is on God, then we worship the creator of the universe, understanding he's already in control. And so as we kind of go back into the story of Ananias and Sapphira... There's a story that happens right before it in scripture, and it's one about Barnabas. And so I just want to read this for you. This is two verses before our story today. It says, for instance, there was was Joseph, the one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. And then all of a sudden, the verses after it are the story of Sapphira and Ananias. And so we see the writer of Acts here contrasting two different situations, two different circumstances. You have Barnabas, who's like, he has the field. He sells the field. Man, it's like, yeah, he's a godly man. He fears God. Man, everyone's talking about Barnabas in the community. He's like, dude, that guy gave everything. Man, he's selling his field. I mean, he's got a reputation now. And then you have Ananias and Sapphira, who probably heard that, saw what happened, and go, hey, we got a field. Let's sell our field. And then they realized how much money they made, and they go, what if we just say we made this much and keep the rest here? Because we need to have a little bit for the future. and We need to have a little bit in case Jesus doesn't come back right away. Or we need to save this." And so that's where we catch ourselves in. And so therefore, what, what, what happens... Sometimes in church, in situations, moments, as you see Ananias and Sapphira, they want the status that Barnabas has. They want the status that he has. But they don't want to do the sacrifice that it takes. And so sometimes we can worship status. We can worship a position. We can worship um, a place we want to go. And we can cut corners to get there. We can lie to people. And we can lie to God. And I wish I wasn't the one who had to preach this sermon. But man that's what we do sometimes. We put these idols up in our lives and we go running after them. And so what happens is we worship, we worship our job and we don't want to lose it. And we want the, we want the approval of our boss. And so what we do is we work ridiculous hours to get that promotion, to get to that next spot. And so we're worshiping this desired outcome and we keep putting in the time and we keep doing all this and we don't want to lose our job or we don't want to lose our lifestyle. And so we just keep keep going and going and going. Not a bad thing, but it can be. And in some of us, we fear, we fear losing our spouse. So we hold on tight and we control and we might manipulate and we might do things because that's, we don't want to lose them. We don't want to lose them. They're everything to us. And we all have our things. Maybe, maybe it's you fear something from the past that happened. You know, something that is back there that haunts you, that sits in there, and you make decisions based off of it. Or maybe it's about the possibilities of tomorrow, of what could happen, and so you make decisions based off of it as well. But the thing that I think we can all agree on is, yes, they're healthy fears. They can be healthy fears. But the one that we can all agree on is, we all fear death. Death is coming. Whether we like it or not, it's coming And what we do to try to avoid death Or even maybe try to outrun death Is we buy life insurance policies So that, man, our family will be taken care of If we pass away too soon Or we get the best health care So we can prolong our life, right? Or we we get on the right diet The right fitness plan, the right thing And we just, man, we put everything into that Because that's what's going to help us outrun death and what we do is we keep doing all this stuff. It's not bad, man. It's, it's almost healthy to fear death. But when we start worshiping this life over eternity with Jesus, that's where we miss out. And so, as we look at a story today, I want to I want to share one with you from Luke twenty three, and it's about two criminals on a cross and they're sitting there, and Jesus is being crucified for the sins of the world. He's sitting up on a cross. He's hanging there, one criminal on his left, the other on his right. Let's just say they're both there, right? And we find ourselves kind of in an interesting spot here because one of the criminals is looking at Jesus, and he's sitting there. If Jesus is supposed to be the Messiah, he's dying on a cross. This isn't really going the plan as what they thought the Messiah would do. And so a criminal looks at Jesus near his death, near the end of his life, at, at the end, end point. And he goes, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. And I look at that and I, and I see that, that line and I see that scripture and, and I look and I go, man, isn't that me? Isn't that you? Like we sit there and we look at God and we go, okay, God, if you're real, do this. If you love me, do this. If you even have any care in the world about me, do this. And we look at God and we go, man, I'll believe you're God when you provide the desire and the outcome that I want for this life. Then I'll believe it. Then you're everything you said you were. I'll believe it then. I love it. He's like, prove it by saving yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Save yourself, but us too while you're at it. It's all about him. It has nothing to do with Jesus being the Messiah. If the Messiah gets him out of this situation, then he's the Messiah. I'm like, man, I think that's how I approach God sometimes. Actually, I know I approach God that way a lot of the time. Trying to earn it, trying to get it, trying to think that, man... I can outrun death. Death's not going to hit me today. It's not going to hit me tomorrow. I don't need I can miss out on these moments with people because I need to get to the next thing. Because I'm worried about that outcome. And then you get to the other criminal on the cross, and he looks over at the other criminal and goes, Hey, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die? Even when you're sitting at the end of your life, don't you fear God? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. One criminal worshiping every bit of existence on this life that he can give it out of it. And if Jesus is the Messiah, then great, save him. The other criminal sits there and goes, this is it. This is all I got to live for. My whole life flashed before my eyes and these are my last moments. This is is all I have. If you're the Messiah, would you please remember me? I surrender. A lot of times I think we're, we're trying to go to God and We're trying to make him a genie in a lamp so he can make our wishes. And that's the God we come in here. And that's why sometimes our worship looks like that. Because we're trying to, it's hard to worship a God you can control. But when it's a God who's so big and so vast and so wide that when you encounter him, when you meet God face to face, he is going to scare you. He's going to make you tremble in your boots. He's going to make you so stinking scared. Because he's that powerful, he's that holy, he's that mighty You can't even be in his presence It took a sacrifice, it took a son dying on the cross For us to even enter into that To be allowed in his presence But you know what the greatest thing is Is once you experience God Once you've been there to the end of it And realize that God is the only thing to be afraid of Once you've experienced that fear There's nothing else to fear There's nothing else. You've experienced the worst of the worst, but then something happens where this fear of God turns into a relationship. That if that's what you have to fear, but the person that you're supposed to fear is the one who would sacrifice everything for you, then all of a sudden it's going, okay. I fear you because I know who you are, but I trust you because I know what you've done. I have had a major year with fear. It's been a powerful, powerful year with fear with me. I've been struggling with mental health. It's been just wild. And as I sat here and I had realized I was gonna preach this, I had to wrestle this week with stuff that I was making decisions based out of fear. I was afraid to tell one of my friends of something that was going on and because I was embarrassed, I was like, you might look at me less than or all this and I'm and I just had to go and face the fear. It's stupid. It's something minor. But my mental health has made me obsess over so many fears that could go wrong in this life. So many things that I can't plan for. So many things. It, it, it's, it's, made, it's made me stuck. And I was debilitated. And I couldn't move. And the thing that changed everything for me is when I started to shift my focus from my fears to who God was. And that's when I started to experience a healing that was so powerful, so supernatural. I I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're experiencing. But you come to the right place. Now, the challenge is, can you take that focus, can you take that obsession and turn it to God? Can you put it all on God? And can you just say, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I'm going through it with You. And the way we change our focus determines the way that we worship.